Amen. Okay, guys, so Acts 8, and the part of it I want to focus on begins in verse 9. Acts 8, verse 9, where it says, And there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery, and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. Okay, so before time is for a long time. And what is this sorcery that Simon used? Well, interestingly, he's not referred to as a sorcerer. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But he's using sorcery. He used sorceries. Now, the first use of sorceries, the word sorceries, isn't until Isaiah 47. And that's prophesying about Babylon's multitude of sorceries and great abundance of enchantments. But the first use of the word sorcerers is in Exodus chapter 7. So if you don't know Exodus chapter 7... And verse 10, Exodus 7:10, and this is Moses first going into Pharaoh. And it says, And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men the sorcerers. Now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. Okay, so we've got wise men here, sorcerers and magicians. Now, it might be they're being used interchangeably. I think it looks like they're separate people. Either way, um, the, the dictionary definition of sorcery is magic, enchantment, witchcraft, divination by the assistance of evil spirits, or the power of commanding evil spirits. Okay, now what about witchcraft? And I just want to know this is witchcraft. Witchcraft is the practices of witches, sorcery, enchantments, intercourse with the devil. And number two, power more than natural. Okay, now a sorcerer is either a conjurer, an enchanter, or a magician. So what about a conjurer? A conjurer is one who practices conjuration, one who pretends the secret art of performing things supernatural or extraordinary by the aid of superior powers, an imposter who pretends by unknown means to discover stolen goods, etc. Hence, ironically, a man of shrewd conjecture, a man of sagacity. Okay, so thinking about some of those definitions there, some of those, because again, it, it changes in the Bible. It doesn't actually make it really clear exactly which one's which. So just think about some of those different definitions, the conjurer there, the sorcerer, witchcraft. Okay, now, say for example, I invited, um, I don't know, say I invited Brother Max over there. And I invited Brother Max around to my house. And I had some dried special plant leaves, yeah, from a foreign country. I soaked them with lime water or other alkaline liquids. I extract it with kerosene in metal drums. I then use sulfuric acid to extract the dissolved extract and form a liquid solution, which has lime added, leading to a precipitation of a paste, yeah? I then add acid, and I don't know if anyone's still with me here, but some of you chemist buffs are going, yeah, yeah, okay, it's not a bad technique. Some of you are like, what on earth? Okay, I then add acid and potassium to remove impurities, followed by a bicarbonate to cause the base to separate. Okay, the base is further dissolved in a solvent like acetone and then soaked again in acid. Finally, the paste is filtered through a cloth to separate, then dried. Okay, now I tell you, now I tell Max that a small amount of the resulting dried powder will almost immediately make him feel euphoric, energetic, talkative, mentally alert, hypersensitive to sight, sound and touch. 
Maybe it can also temporarily decrease the need for food and sleep. Might even help him to perform simple physical and intellectual tasks more quickly. Okay, now say that process I just went through didn't have any of the scientific names. Say you had no idea what I was doing. You were just watching me getting all these different things, mixing them together. Okay, imagine you never heard of processes like that. Okay, imagine you had no idea of any of that sort of thing. Okay, and now add to it the whole time I make it, I'm focusing on my God with a small g, mammon, money, yeah? I'm just thinking about the money I'm going to make from this. Would it be fair? Wouldn't it be fair to maybe call that witchcraft, sorcery? Maybe call me a sorcerer or a conjurer based on some of those definitions I gave you. I'll go over a couple of those again. Okay, especially when you learn that there are also serious drawbacks to the potion that I made. So the short-term physiological effects include constricted blood vessels, dilated pupils, increased body temperature, heart rate, blood pressure. Large amounts can also lead to bizarre, erratic and violent behaviour, often feelings of restlessness, irritability, anxiety, panic and paranoia. You may also experience tremors, vertigo and muscle twitches. Severe medical complications can occur, can occur too. Some of the most frequent are cardiovascular effects, disturbances in heart rhythm, heart attacks, neurological effects, including headaches, seizures, strokes, coma, gastrointestinal complications, abdominal pains, nausea. Rare instances, sudden death can occur on the first use or unexpectedly thereafter. Okay, the, the related deaths are often a result of cardiac arrest or seizures. Long term, repeat exposure, the brain starts to adapt so that the reward pathway becomes less sensitive to natural reinforcers. At the same time, circuits involved in stress become increasingly sensitive, leading to increased displeasure and negative moods when not taking it, which are signs of withdrawal. These combined effects make the user more likely to focus on seeking it instead of relationships through to other natural rewards. Okay, with regular use, tolerance may develop so at higher doses. Um, so that higher doses, more frequent use or both are needed to produce the same level of pleasure and relief from withdrawal experience initially. At the same time, use can also develop sensitization, which less is needed to produce anxiety, convulsions or other toxic effects. Tolerance to reward and sensitization to toxicity can increase. I'll keep going just quickly. Users take it in binges in which it is used repeatedly and at increasingly higher doses. This can lead to increased irritability, restlessness, panic attacks, paranoia and even a full-blown psychosis in which the individual loses touch with reality and experiences auditory hallucinations. With increasing doses or higher frequency of use, the risk of adverse psychological and physiological effects increase. Right, you may have guessed that the particular sorcery or witchcraft I'm talking about is a particular drug. Anyone want to guess what that drug is? Noted, Ben. Joke, <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, cocaine. Okay, that's cocaine. That was cocaine. Now, cocaine is in the top three of illegal drugs consumed in the UK. But the story, that story, I could, I could have gone through that with pretty much, you know, with, with most recreational drugs, okay? With most recreational drugs and the process they're made as well. And the title of my sermon today is The Sorcery of Recreational Drugs. The Sorcery of Recreational Drugs. Now, remember, like I said, witchcraft, number two was power more than natural. And there's nothing natural about it. And this is the thing is that a lot of these drugs, people look at, well, it's a natural product. It's like they're just chewing on the cocaine leaf, but, that, but they're not. Look, look at the process, it go, that's the usual process it goes through to become what we know of as cocaine powder that's sold obviously all around the UK and consumed in massive, massive amounts. Now, like I said, a sorcerer is also a conjurer, one who practices conjuration, one who pretends the secret art of, becoming, of performing things supernatural, extraordinary by the aid of superior powers. 
there are some superior powers going on there to be able to make that, aren't there? So it might be the use of things which originally were in the natural world, but there's nothing natural about them once they start getting put together. Hey, does it sound too far off? Does that sound too far off? Okay, why am I preaching this sermon? Well, I started thinking about it a lot this week. So I had a bit of a crazy week, and this week I drove over to a family member's house um, where their drug problems have, have basically got really out of control. And the place was an absolute hellhole. First time I'd been there, the place was a hellhole. The family member was an absolute mess. The door had been smashed at the front, one of the reasons I went there um, to fix that as well. The, the, I mean, the dramas, the emotion, yeah, the emotion, like, ju- just around, like, just even talk to that person and just, just the whole thing. But what was funny, yeah, they were so bewitched by this drug, so bewitched by it. And it got me thinking about it, and considering our common drug uses in this country and the world, there is a strong u- there's a strong chance, isn't there, that some people in this church are going to be at the least tempted at some point, maybe tempted at some point, maybe they've already opened that door of sin before. As we know, when that door of sin has been opened, it doesn't ever shut fully tight again, does it? Okay? Now, there are, we've got many kids in this church as well. And, you know, it's, we probably think, no chance. My kids are being raised as Christians. Maybe they're homeschooled. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're reading the Bible every day, whatever it is. No chance. Well, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Okay? And, and we have to be aware of this because it is massive. That, and, and I'm not just going to talk about that one particular drug, cocaine. Now, you might be thinking, well, no chance. Cocaine is for people in bars, pubs, clubs, drinkers. My kids ain't going to be. I won't let my kids go to anything like that. Well, like I said, the story is similar with most drugs. The story is similar with most drugs. And I'm going to include cannabis to that as well. I include cannabis to that. Now, what? Oh, but cannabis is so natural. Oh, it, it, you know, we're literally just growing something that God made for us. Uh, you know, just smoke it. Nothing wrong with that. Or, or God gave us these things to enjoy. Have you heard that stuff before with people? Why, why would God have made cannabis if you can't, if, you know, it's so good for you. Or, or you see all the videos, don't you, online. Half of them are so fake where you've got someone literally like this till they smoke a joint. And, and again, all that does is just constantly just, just reinforce that it's okay, it's good. You know, the, me, the medicinal use of it is, is so much less, isn't it? People tell themselves they need it. What about, have you ever heard this one? And I heard this one before years ago, that Jesus made, one of the healing balms he made had cannabis in it. Anyone heard that? Yeah, yeah, one there's nodding. Okay, so I'd heard this one as well. And it, obviously, people who've never read the Bible, but um, yeah, one of them, one of the ingredients, where do you get this junk from? Yeah, but, but the propaganda's out there and they're trying to push it on people. Now, turn to First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. And verse 13. Okay, the Bible says this. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, whether you want to call it sorcery, witchcraft or not, there is nothing, nothing biblical about smoking cannabis. Nothing at all. Clearly, there's nothing holy about sitting around getting stoned. Okay, nothing at all. 
And anyone that tries to claim that it's okay, oh yeah, well it's not drinking, oh well alcohol's really evil, that's not. They either haven't read their Bible or they're in complete denial or they've been bewitched by it. Okay, verse 13, he says here, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Okay, that means to basically to secure your mind. He then says to be sober. Is there anything secure and sober about smoking weed? No, 100% not. Verse 14, he says, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. So you may have done these things before in your ignorance, and many people, I'm sure, have got a background of all sorts of things and sin here. Most people here, like we've said before, were saved later on in life. But, but now you're, you're not ignorant anymore. Verse 15 says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That's holy in all your behaviour. Not just, not just your talking, that's conversation talking about your behaviour. Okay, 1 Peter 5, 8, you don't have to turn there. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And you know what? It ain't like cocaine, yeah, we, you know, I would say most people here understand that that's pretty serious, you're getting involved with that. But it's ain't like cannabis. I've seen so many lives ruined by it. And I've seen so many people, so many people being devoured by the devil after getting involved in smoking weed. And it... It just it like it opens your mind to all sorts anyway for starters. And when you you're not girding up your mind, when you're not being sober, when you're not being vigilant, there's nothing vigilant about sitting there. Maybe you might be twitching the curtains a bit in a paranoid state, although not everyone's like that. There's nothing nothing sober about it. Okay, well let's look at whether you could call cannabis sorcery, just quickly. Okay, how about let's let's just do what I did earlier, yeah. So just say I've got some special highly bred seeds. Yeah, and they've been bred and bred and bred to get the strongest, most potent seeds you can. I grew them indoors with really special equipment, real controlled conditions as well. Okay, I, I, I'm usually, usually I'm growing these with a load of chemical fertilizers and pesticides. I have to flush these through with lots of water in the last few weeks of their life. Yeah. Okay, after I've flushed them through, I've cut them down, I've dried them. For, for a week, sometimes more, okay, I've spent hours trimming the leaves and everything else, yeah, then eventually I crush it small, I sprinkle it into a paper or pipe, and usually, let's be honest, nine times out of ten, if not more, mixed with another highly processed and refined plant, tobacco, and then smoke it. Is that really, a, is, that, is that how that plant was intended? Is that a natural, natural use of it? Now, people will go, oh, well, no, no, no. You know, maybe they only smoke the most natural. Oh, it's only, only made with, you know, chemical-free. Chemical-free. They're still using real control conditions, 600-watt lamps, all stuff that you're not getting outdoors. Outdoor, it's completely different. Completely different, especially in this country anyway. Okay, now, that's the most common. And I'm not talking about the refined oils that people make and everything else out of it. What are the effects? Let's see what the effects are. Short-term effects. When a person smokes marijuana, THC quickly passes from the lungs into the bloodstream. The blood carries a chemical to the brain and other organs throughout the body. The body absorbs THC more slowly when a person eats or drinks it. In that case, they generally feel the effects after 30 minutes to one hour. That's pretty rare, by the way. Not hardly anyone's eating it. Um, the THC acts on specific brain cell receptors that ordinarily react to natural THC-like chemicals. These natural chemicals play a role in normal brain development and function. Right. Marijuana overactivates parts of the brain that contain the highest number of these receptors. This causes a high that people feel. Right. Other effects include 
altered senses, for example, seeing brighter colours, altered sense of time, changes in mood, impaired body movement, difficulty with thinking and problem-solving impaired memory, hallucinations when taking high doses, delusions when taking high doses, psychosis, risk is highest with regular use of high-potency marijuana, long-term effects, okay, it affects brain development, and people begin to take it as teenagers, a drug may impair thinking, memory, learning functions affect how the brain builds connections between the areas necessary for these functions. Okay, researchers are still studying some of this, how long it lasts and whether some changes may be permanent. For example, a study in New Zealand conducted it, it goes on to say basically that it reduces IQ points between the eight, if you start smoking between the age of 13 and 38, eight IQ points. Um, the lost mental abilities didn't fully return in those who quit marijuana as adults. Those who started smoking it as adults didn't show as notable IQ declines though. Uh, physical effects, breathing problems, increased heart rate, problems with child development during and after pregnancy, intense nausea and vomiting. Now this is a regular, so regular long-term marijuana can lead to some people to develop cannabinoid, it's called hyperemesis syndrome. So this is people, they get regular cycles of severe nausea, vomiting, dehydration, sometimes requiring emergency medical treatment, mental effects, long-term marijuana has been linked to mental illness to some people, such as temporary hallucinations, temporary paranoia, worsening symptoms in patients with schizophrenia, as we know is, is described by the world as a severe mental disorder with symptoms such as hallucinations, paranoia, and disorganized thinking, very similar to what the Bible describes as, as, as being possessed with devils. Marijuana use has also been linked to other mental health problems such as depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts among teens. However, study funds have been mixed. Is it addictive? So a lot of people, oh, it's not addictive. Funny that a lot of them smoke all day, every day. So how many people do you know? Like if they were drinking like that, everyone would be saying they're having a problem. People who literally get up in the morning and smoking, smoking from morning through till night. Oh, that's just what they do. Oh, it helps them stay calm, whatever the other excuse is. Marijuana use can lead to the development of substance use disorder, medical illness, in which the person is unable to stop using, even though it's causing health and social problems in their life. Okay, so severe substance use disorder is also known as addiction. Research suggests that between 9 and 30% of those who use marijuana may develop some degree of marijuana use disorder. People who begin using marijuana before age 18 are four to seven times more likely than adults to develop a marijuana use disorder. Kids, I hope you're listening. Many people who use marijuana long term and are trying to quit report mild withdrawal symptoms that make quitting difficult. These include grouchiness, sleeplessness, decreased appetite, anxiety, cravings. Okay, I, I, I'm not forcing you to accept it as sorcery. I don't know, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not really dogmatic about that. But either way, why would a Christian touch that? Why would a Christian touch it? And when we go soul winning, it stinks everywhere, doesn't it? Absol I mean, that is probably the most common smell you smell, isn't it? We go soul winning, it, it, it's marijuana. And, 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 and I'll tell you what, for, for, since the lockdown, I think that's worse. Because eh? a load of people are basically getting paid to sit around at home. And we talked about this before when you're not doing anything. And, and I reckon drug use has probably gone really, really high with the lockdown. Um, okay, what about addictive? You better believe it's addictive. Now, these are, oh, well, it's mentally addictive. Becomes a physical addiction, as you know, because your body starts then having withdrawal symptoms from the effects of it. And, and you see it, like I said, you see people all day, every day with it. Now, there's a similar story with all these substances. So I've just gone for one, which some people call quite extreme, that's still very commonly used. Heroin, maybe not as common. With the cocaine, obviously, crack, crack cocaine is a much worse version of that or much stronger. But, but... This is what, what so many people, and I would hazard that, uh, I hope not in here, but there are Christians that would think that, that smoking cannabis is all right. It's not, it's not that bad. It's not, it's not a big, it's not, it's not outlawed in the Bible. 
oh, it only talks about drinking. And you notice a lot of people that smoke cannabis, a lot of the time, you know, it's drinking that's the devil. That's the demon. That's the problem. You know, why, you know, why, why have they made cannabis illegal? Okay, so, okay, everything begins natural, but it's either misused, altered, refined, and everything, every substance in the world begins natural, doesn't it? Okay, it's all been refined to some degree and changed, and like I said, misused as well. And of course, God, you know, there are things which don't need to be refined to be really bad for you, obviously. And there are things which don't need to be refined to have severe hallucinogenic effects to you. But God has given us a choice, isn't he, in life? He's given us free will, like at the very beginning with the, with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we have that choice, but regardless, when it goes through these sorts of processes, for me, like that, that's going... Even beyond that, isn't it? Just having that choice. Now, back to Acts chapter 8. Back to Acts chapter 8. Okay. And in verse 9, like I said, there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. Okay. Am I saying that Simon was some sort of drug dealer, the kingpin of Samaria? Okay. Well, I believe that there are many types of sorceries. Just some off the top of my head when I was writing this. There are, there are people, obviously, that practice things like black magic and other weird occultic stuff, aren't there? And, and there's probably more than you realise that do that. But there are, there are people that do that stuff, obviously. There are, there's obviously, and some people like to say it all is, but there are modern medicines. There are pharmaceuticals. I mean, when you look at some vaccine ingredients, that's some pretty bizarre stuff, isn't it? That is some bizarre stuff. And what's the spirit behind that going into that? So when you're talking about, you know, like aborted fetal cell lines and bovine serum and, and, and green monkey kidney cells. And, and the re I, I mean, it, it's like something out of a bad movie, isn't it? Okay. Um, and, and again, just, wow, amazing, isn't it? Amazing that the majority of people in this country, it seems, if we're to believe the reports, are just queuing up, queuing up for, for vaccines. Okay. Now with that, with the pharmaceutical thing, people like to go back to the Greek here and show that it's a Greek word pharmakeia that's translated as sorcery and then say that all pharmaceuticals are sorcery, which I think is a bit of a silly angle to take. But it is interesting, nevertheless, that the word pharmaceutical has come from the Greek word pharmakeia for sorcery, witchcraft, substances such as that. It is an interesting point. Okay. But then what happens is a lot of these people, they go so far the other way and then get involved in like all this new age health stuff where, where they're doing all sorts of bizarre. And I'm not just talking about using natural products. I'm talking about where they start, you know, basically communing with devils and doing weird body testing and all sorts of stuff, uh, which, which, which I have some knowledge of for many years ago as well. There's some crazy stuff that people do and stuff that, that is weird as well. Um, and people go the other way. They go, oh, I'm not going to touch a pharmaceutical drug. And then they're there, you know, with, with people doing weird sort of, you know, new age stuff with them. Okay. You've got the food industry as well. What about the mind-altering concoctions in many foods, the flavoring companies? I preached on this a while back. And wow, look at the stuff that goes into that. And again, you've got aborted fetal cell lines going into certain flavoring company additives that they just put as a package on the, on the side of the thing that just says flavoring and shoved into your food. And, and, and what's, what, what does that, again, it's, it's worshipping money, isn't it? It's to get people addicted to the food. It's to get people wanting to come back with more, um, for, for more. Okay, television and movie industry. Some sorcery going on there, isn't there? Television and movie industry. Music industry too. Wow, and, and the imagery with that and the stuff that gets in people's heads. Now, either way, sorcery is definitely still common in the last days, isn't it? 
If you turn to Revelation chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18. And this is talking of end times Babylon here. And in verse 23, 18.23, it says, And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee, and the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth, for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. Okay, that's sorceries plural and all nations are deceived by them. And, and again, I'm not saying that is necessarily all drugs or all one of the things on my list, but there's something there, isn't there? Or maybe there's a mixture of different types of sorceries. Um, Revelation 21.8 gives this list of things that we can all pretty much relate to. Fearful, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, whoremongers and sorcerers. Yeah. Who, what are, who are these sorcerers? What's the sorcerers it's talking about there? Again, it's an interesting thing to think about, isn't it? Um, okay, so without knowing exactly what the sorceries were in Acts 8, we can still learn, I think, some things from the story of Simon in Acts 8. I think we can learn some stuff from here about sorcery. And, and I, I'm going to relate it to, like I said, I'm going to relate it to recreational drugs, but I think you can relate it to many things. Um, and I'll show you, you you'll probably, you'll, you'll see why as we go through it. Okay, so my point, number one, is the bewitching power of sorcery. The bewitching power of sorcery. Look at Acts 8, and we're just going to read from 9 to 11. Okay, but there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery, and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is a great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. Okay, so if we continue the comparison with the world of drugs, you could do that with a lot of the, the examples I just gave there as well. Um, okay, if we continue that, verse 9, it says here that himself was some great one. So he was giving out that himself was some great one. Verse 10, he's saying, it says that they all gave heed. Yeah, they thought he's a great power of God. This man is a great power of God. And verse 11, they had regard. Okay, and it says... Because for a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. Now I was thinking about this. I was thinking you could see that high regard. For example, your average drug dealer gets. Now I know, like we, we could, you know, there's a picture painted. But if you've ever seen or been around people that get involved with this sort of stuff, I mean, they, they act like this guy's like some sort of celebrity a lot of the time. Like it's, it's such a good person to be friends with. What 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 a great you know, what a great person it is because they ticked, basically they gave them something that they don't have to pay back for another month, two months. A lot of the time they've got to pay them back double the amount. It's, ah, oh, you know, it's really nice for them. They're, they're almost begging them for stuff and it's a bewitching power, isn't it, that causes that. Like, like I said, they get treated like a celebrity even though really they're scum, aren't they? Absolute scum. And, 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 and the thing is, you know, you look at it and you think, what? evil wicked people but people that get involved and get bewitched by sorcery such as drugs a lot of the time will end up at that point of selling drugs because they've been so bewitched by it and but they are scum regardless you know we can give them excuses they are scum and like I said a lot of the time they're role models I, I knew a guy who was so into this sort of stuff who, who would literally talk about these people he wished he was them he would love he basically made some of these drug dealers like an idol they're so respected they've got money they have as much drugs as they want etc etc it's really sad and and it's not just amongst the real low down and outs 
this stuff goes on. You, you, you get, you go up. There's a lot of middle class drug use. There's a lot of middle class, middle class cocaine use, crack use as well. And and a lot of these guys, they're looking at these people and, and thinking, wow, you, they want to buddy up with them. They want to be best friends with them. It's sad. And why? It's a sorcery. It's a sorcery of it. Because this is the thing, a lot of those people, when, you, when they get to this real, to, to the point, like I witnessed the other day, like this stuff has resorted them to filth, to squalor, to debt, to begging a lot of the time. And this person wasn't, but I know someone else. Who, and I'll tell you what, when you go out on the streets, and those people on the streets, the vast, vast majority are, are at that point, aren't they? Where drug addiction's got them to the point of now begging on the streets. And a lot of them aren't homeless, some of them are. A lot of them, that's, that's what they do. They go out to beg. They, have, they might have still have accounts flat if they haven't been kicked out for what's going on in there and, go, and being sold out of there and everything else. And then a lot of them are then, are then going out, getting, begging in the day to come back and get whatever it is, usually crack and heroin by that point in this country particularly. And here's a point with that anyway. When you're giving money to those people and trying to virtue signal, and I don't, I don't know what people's views are without there, and trying to tell everyone and show people and in front of everyone, get, you're not helping anyone at all with that you're not helping them at all giving them money give them the gospel i'll give them money okay it's crazy but okay but what what they do is then these people they've been resorted to this but they still won't blame the drug even then it's not the drug it's the stress this is what i was hearing it's the stress they've been through oh the emotion the stress of whatever it is some crisis some breakup some the death of a loved one whatever else so they'll bl- the, people are always blaming something else as the excuse it's 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 a stress or uh, this is a friend who who an old family friend who sadly passed away um from 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 a drug overdose and his excuse he used to always say that he he just naturally has low serotonin he's got low serotonin that's why he needs to take drugs that that's the excuse is because he can't if only he was happy like I am he'd be all right so it's not his fault it's a low serotonin or, or you hear the addictive personality and, and amongst all the recovery people uh, th- for them it's like everyone's an addict and they're just more of an addict than other people and everyone's just an addict and it's human you know that's the way it is everyone's got some addiction and for them they've just got an addictive personality but it's a sorcery that bewitches them to constantly blame something and, and what happens is they won't then blame the drug. So I had this bizarre conversation in the week where I'm saying to, to, to this family member, I'm saying, what you, like, what's your plan? You've got to cut this out. And they're basically saying, no, well, it's that and it's this and it's that. I've got this isn't the, that's, the drug's not the problem. That, the drug ain't the problem. The crack ain't the problem. It's everything else. And, and oh, no, well, it's caused a problem with alcohol and it's caused a problem with, with Ben, like, uh, basically valiums it's caused a problem with this and that but it ain't the crack nothing well, I can still you know that no problem yeah I still get high that's all right you know just just need to cut it down a little bit yeah and, and uh, how bewitched do you have to be to get to that point where you're literally in that state and and okay and you might be sitting and thinking well why are you preaching this at us because it's the same with all these different drugs and substance abuse where people are just constantly finding excuses, cons- and because they've, they're bewitched by it. They're bewitched by that drug. Because it, it ain't, you know, people will, f- don't get me wrong, people feel good taking that at the time, but then they can't then evaluate that the reason they feel so rubbish the rest of the time is because they're getting so used to lifting themselves up with whatever drug it is, whatever substance it is. Okay, turn to Revelation chapter 9. 
Turn to Revelation chapter 9. Okay, so from verse 18, we've literally just had the scorpion locusts. I mean, wow, they sound pretty scary, don't they? Amen, we're not going to be there for that. Uh, they've just had the scorpion locusts. Then the 200 million fire-breathing horses. Okay, now look at verse 18. By these three was the third part of men killed by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails were like unto serpents and had heads, and with them they... They do hurt. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. So they've literally just been through some absolutely, you know, just whatever you want to call it, apocalyptic things, aren't they? yet they're still not repenting of their sorceries. That is some bewitching power, isn't it? Now, you could also say these people, maybe a lot, a lot of them are reprobates at that point as well, but regardless, they're still not repenting of those sorceries. Um, which kind of leads me on to the next bit, though. Is it point number two, sorcery still doesn't stop salvation. Okay, sorcery and using sorceries, I don't think still stops salvation. If you have a look at, Acts 8 and verse 12. So back to Acts 8 and verse 12. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptised, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptised, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Okay, so they've been bewitched for a long time. They've been bewitched by the, these sorceries for a long time, but they still got saved. The power of the gospel. Okay? 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the preacher of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is a power of God. It's a power of God. Okay, so they can, because they can flood our nations with drugs. And they do, don't they? And when I say they, I'm talking about there's some, high, there's some people with power that are flooding our nation with drugs. They can rise up sorcerers. They can bewitch the masses, but we can still get them saved. We can still get them saved. You know that cocaine only grows in a particular region. Just back to cocaine again, yeah? It's a, quite a small region uh, in comparison with the rest of the world. So it, it, it's basically, it's coca plants in South America on the ridge of the Andes Mountains and lowland jungles such as those found in Colombia. Okay, the vast majority of cocaine production occurs in Colombia, Peru and Bolivia as those countries are the main place where the coca plant can be grown naturally and in sufficient quantities to produce mass amounts of cocaine. It takes a lot to produce cocaine, yeah? Okay, they reckon that British people consumed 117 tonnes of cocaine in 2019. 117 tonnes. Okay, that's 117,000 kilograms. How on earth did that get here? How on earth did that get here? We're an island. The, I, amen. The gov, like, there are some pe hi, there's some people in power, aren't there? There's some people in power that are shipping over that junk, that rubbish into our country, that sorcery into our country. And it, it's amazing, isn't it? And like I say, there are some, there are some powerful people involved, yeah? Oh, so we wrestle not against principalities of powers, you know, it's, it's against... 
sorry, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the dancers of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And, and there is some spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is, it is a power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the, to the Greek. Okay, it's a power of God unto salvation. Now, the reason I'm saying that is that ideally we want people sober and in their right mind, don't we? When we're giving the gospel to people. Yeah. Ideally. But how often is that? How common? Like I said, the place you go, you're smelling weed everywhere, aren't you? Stinks. And how many people are we giving the gospel to that are under the influence to some degree? I would say probably quite a lot. And probably a lot of the time, you probably might not even realise. Maybe some people are a bit more tuned into that. Maybe some people aren't. But it doesn't mean they can't get saved. Yeah, it might make it harder, sure, if someone's literally out of, their, out of their head. If they're not understanding anything you're saying, then, yeah, there's, there's, there is probably no point going on, is there? But I don't think that's the case a lot of the time. And I think sometimes maybe we can look at people and just think, no chance, they're off their face. or they're you know, Still giving the gospel, it's the power of God. I think the gospel can't get people saved? That can't cut through the sorcery? I think it can. In fact, I know it can. And... I was thinking about this because the other, the other day I was with Brother, brother Doran and a guy pulled over in his car on Thursday evening when we were soul winning and he got out of the car and he was literally like this while he's talking to me, you know, he's, he's high as a kite. And, um, but I, I didn't get him saved, yeah, and, and in the end it turned that I was trying to just keep him away because his friend in the car who just happened like everyone around there seems to be, uh, was Romanian and Brother Doran is, is you know, he's, he's, in the middle of a gospel presentation with him while I'm talking to this guy who got out and seemed interested. But you know what? He did still understand quite a lot. He rejected. He did reject. But he did still understand. And he, it, it would have been easy to have looked at him and just thought, no chance, no chance, even though he's driving. But still, no chance. But, um, and I think, you know, there is a risk. There is a risk that maybe we see people, we see people that look like they're, they're off their face or something and just think, no, don't even bother. But it's the power of God under salvation. These people in Acts, they've been bewitched for a long time by sorcery. Do you think they were all sober? Every single one? Maybe they were. Maybe it was a different type of sorcery. But whatever they were under the influence of, whatever sorcery it was that had bewitched them into thinking Simon was the great power of God and everything else, they were still able to get saved, weren't they? They were still able to get saved. Um, and we see that, obviously, in verse 13 there. Now, because in verse 13... It's even the person dishing out the sorcery that gets saved. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptised, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Okay, so that's the person giving out the sorcery, and I would imagine that he's partaking in whatever sorcery it is as well. Now, it doesn't actually call him a sorcerer. You could maybe say he was, maybe he wasn't. It's interesting that Bar-Jesus, the sorcerer in Acts 13, He's a false prophet too, and is therefore reprobate. Because if you remember, Paul calls him, doesn't he? Paul, Paul calls him a child of the devil. But, so there is a contrast there, and he is actually called a sorcerer. I don't know, but this guy at the least, he's, he's whatever it is, he's bewitching the people of Samaria with, with, with sorcery. But he still gets saved. He still gets saved. And, and regardless, unless they're reprobate, people can still get saved. And again, it's easy for us, isn't it? We sometimes look at people and we think, oh, I don't know about this one. And, and as much as we try not to, we do, don't we? People will judge a book by its cover. We'll look at people think, no chance. They're under the, or, or maybe they're, 
for example, in fact, that Thursday as well, there was a guy saying that he was some sort of Satanist, wasn't he? He was saying, that, but he didn't, did he really know what he meant? But it would have been easy to just think, forget that. But you don't know, do you? Okay, he didn't get saved, but you don't know really how far, you don't know if he's reprobate, unless it's blatant, blatant. And there's certain things which make it blatant when someone's a reprobate, as we all know. Okay, um, okay point number three. Salvation doesn't automatically stop sin, does it? Salvation doesn't automatically stop sin. Look at Acts 8 and verse 14. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast sought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps a thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness, and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Okay, so Peter and John come and they're praying for them to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, I believe that's an outward showing is what they're praying for here. So ever since Jesus resurrected and the disciples were indwelt with the Holy Spirit, believers are indwelt the moment they believe. Okay, Ephesians 1.13, in fact, turn there quickly, Ephesians 1.13 Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says, talking about Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Okay, after believing, they were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Okay, so I think in Acts 9, it's talking about, it's, it's basically being filled like, like at Pentecost in Acts 2. And it's for that outward showing, for that Holy Spirit to come upon them. Like, for example, we're all indwelt with the Holy Spirit, but there are times when you're going to show the Holy Spirit, where you're going to be indwelt, where it's going to come upon you, like it came upon people of old as well, in the Old Testament, and like it does in the New Testament. So whether or not you're indwelt, you can still be filled and have the Holy Spirit come upon you. Um, so verse 16 there. So it says, For as yet it's fallen upon none of them, only that they were baptised in the name of the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. So... They're saved and sealed, but I think not filled with the Spirit at this point. Okay, verse 18. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. Okay, so this guy is tempted again, isn't he, to have power, control over people. And you can imagine if he's bewitching them with sorceries, and back to, you know, the kind of drug illustration, if this was some sort of you know, a high-flying drug dealer, you could see what sort of mentality he's probably going to have to get to that point. Um, and he wants that control. He's offering money. He obviously knows that money gets, a, you know, money, I'd imagine, again, in, in my analogy here, money's going to really, really make things happen for him and money's going to be what, 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 what the big currency is, isn't it? And what, what people are offering and, and what he's probably got rich from. 
if he's held in high regard, he's a great man, it said earlier, didn't it? Um, that, that giving out that himself was some great one, it said earlier in, in verse 9. Okay, so verse 20 to 23, Peter rebukes him. Okay, you can't purchase God's gifts with money. And, and oh, when I read this a while back, I had a note in one of the Bibles when I was preparing for this, and I just had next to it about uh, Bible colleges, maybe you need to hear that, that you, yes. can't, you can't purchase the gift of God with money. And it's not about just, just going and spending a lot like, these, like we've said before, these kids that just go to Bible college. No one has any idea what they're suited to, what their ability is, none of it at all. Let alone that they're not even biblically qualified and they're just basically throwing a load of money. How many, I'll be interested to see a stat, how many get failed at Bible college. I bet it's really, really low amounts because it's a business. Because you don't want to be going somewhere where there's a 50%, 40% chance or whatever it is that you're going to fail. So these people are throwing money. But anyway, um, so Peter rebukes him, doesn't he? Verses 20 to 23, where he says, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast sought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven, for I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. So in verse 22, I think he's, he's helping him here. He's saying, repent now for this our wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. So he's basically helping him avoid chastisement, isn't he? He's helping him to avoid chastisement. And in verse 23, it says, for I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. So although he's saved, he's still in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. And just because you're saved doesn't mean you're suddenly going to be okay, does it? Does it mean, oh, yeah, no, I'm sorted now. I've got to, and, and the, you know, the false churches, the false teachings, they would look at a person, if a Christian was involved in drugs, they would, they would assume that per, no way is that person saved. No chance could they be saved. And, and I, I've heard people that you, you assume, you hope they're saved. A, a pastor at a church not long ago was saying, you know, and these people call themselves Christians. You should hear the way they swear. Are they, are they saved? This is what he was saying. For swearing. How could they be a Christian if they use a swear word? And, and this is what, and again, uh, this guy, uh, I don't know. And, and a lot of them, we know they're not saved. But there are, there are people that are maybe just being deceived by that sort of doctrine, that maybe are saved and just being deceived into thinking that when you're saved, you're just going to automatically, that's it, especially certain sins, well, or drug use or, or whatever types of sorcery you want to call it. Maybe not the sorcery of the TV, because a lot of them don't seem to have a problem with that, but other things. Um, now, what, what's gall? Gall is basically bile, something extremely bitter. And I don't know, if you've, uh, if you've ever known people involved in those sorts of sins, you see it with alcoholism as, as well, there's a lot of bitterness, a lot of bitterness with them. I, I don't know if it's a bitterness of just knowing that they're basically you know, a, a, a real addict, and that causes bitterness. But if you've ever been around alcoholics and drug addicts, there's a, they just have this bitterness for other people, bitterness for all sorts of things other than the substance that they're bewitched by, the sorcery that they're bewitched by. Now, um, okay, if you've been involved in these sorts of sins, okay, salvation doesn't suddenly mean that you won't have to battle it anymore, okay? That does it, if, you're, if you're still battling the odd temptation, that doesn't mean you're not saved. Like I said, with a room this size, there's bound to be people that have been involved to some degree. Maybe they're not battling it. Maybe it's another sin they are. 
Um, John, 1 John 1, 8 says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Okay, we all have sin. We all have sin. And some of us have opened doors to some sins and some to others. And we still, we still have to resist those. Now, like I said, there might be someone in here battling with that sort of temptation. There might be people in here that eventually go on to do so. And I really hope not. And I really hope this is a good reminder of just how destructive that sort of thing is. Um, but look, you know, you, you, might, you might even be sitting here just thinking, yeah, no, that is sorcery to me. Maybe you're craving something still. Maybe you're craving certain things which are, which are like that. And 1 Corinthians 10, 13. If you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 13 says, There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Okay, there is a way out. There's a way out from anything. You don't have to, you don't have to think, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm bound to eventually, or once you're involved with that, no, I can't get out of it. There is a way. He does make a way to escape the temptation. Psalm 50 verse 15 says, And call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. So look, if you, if you're, if you find a temptation for things like this, and it might be something else, it might be some other form of sorcery that I mentioned, or something else, you might be sitting there thinking, yeah, like, I could see that with something else. You might be thinking it's got nothing to do with sorcery, it's just sin. Either way, there is a way out. You can resist, yeah. I don't believe in that, like, well, to a degree, maybe. I think there are personality types. People say, you know, once an addict, always an addict, don't they? And you've heard that before, haven't you? Once an addict, and again, I've heard that a lot at the, at, in sort of rehab, this sort of once an addict, always an addict type attitude. That, you know, that's it, you're done, you're going to be battling this the rest of your life. And yeah, I, I believe once you've opened a door to sin, that's going to be harder for you to resist than someone who maybe never has. But... Uh, have a look. Turn to first. If you're in First Corinthians, just go to chapter sixteen. Chapter sixteen and verse fifteen. Okay, Paul says, "I beseech you, brethren, ye know the house of Stephanus, that it is the that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints." If you really, if you're sitting there saying, look, I, I am a right addict, yeah, I just get, I find I just get addicted to so many things, yeah, I just can't resist, I'm an addict, that's the way I am. Well, you know what, addicts can make great Christians, can't they? That's the one place in the whole Bible the word addicted or addicts used, and it's talking about being addicted to the ministry. Get addicted to the ministry. If that's you, use, use, that, use that part of your personality. Get addicted to reading your Bible, addicted to soul winning. Addicted to, to work at the church, addicted to, to all, addicted to, pray, to a prayer life, you know, addicted to all of it, addicted to meditating on the word of God. Just, there's so much, isn't there? So much in the ministry that you could get addicted to. How about the whole ministry? Like, you know, make use of it, make use of it. You Be a useful addict, yeah, be a useful addict. But you don't have to go back, you don't have to just spend your life just going from one thing to the next. Oh, well, maybe this one, I don't see this one as sorcery, so I'm just going to keep my addiction to that. On. And, and lots of people do, don't they? They'll replace and replace, and you don't have to. 
Or you do, you can do it, but if you do it, replace it with the ministry. Replace it to the, to the work of the ministry. Replace it with addicted to, to things of God. Well, I think that would be a great way to be. Romans chapter 13 says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfil the lusts thereof. So put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you won't be making provision for the flesh. Okay, don't make provision for the flesh. If you, it, you've got to be wise, don't you? If, again, if that's someone here, or someone eventually it is, you look back and think about this, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't make provision for the, for the flesh. Stay in the Word of God. Stay, stay in church. Stay in, it, you know, make sure that you're in your Bible, that, that those times when you'd be tempted, whether it's evenings, weekends, around certain people, be wise about that. Avoid those people. Avoid those people. Look, make sure that if, if, if addiction is a problem that you do, you replace it with a good addiction then. But a proper addiction. A good addiction, like the Word of God. Um, turn to Galatians 5.16. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. And it, so often it comes back to this, doesn't it? This I say then, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And it's when you're in the Spirit, isn't it? When you're in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, you can resist much easier, can't you? You can resist much easier. And, and like I said, if, you're, if you battle with this sort of thing, then get, fight, make sure, get in the Spirit. Get in the Word of God, get in the Spirit, and you don't then, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. How much easier is it to resist sin when you're in the Spirit? Does that stuff even cross your mind when you're just in the spirit, your soul winning, you read your Bible, you're just feeling, you're just feeling that, that being filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you really then thinking about whatever addiction it is that's been a problem for you or whatever, whatever issue, that, whatever form of sorcery that maybe we mentioned there? I don't think so. Um, but yeah, for, for me, look, I, I believe that, that, you know, we're a, you know, this is a growing, growing church. There's going to be people, there might be now, there, there's going to be in the future people that will battle and have battled with this sort of thing. And sadly, there might be people that go back into this sort of thing. I really hope and pray that doesn't happen. But we've just got to be, you know, I think we've got to be understanding about that as well. And not just because just it's easy to just, for example, that particular drug, wicked, terrible, but you're hanging around with people that are smoking weed every day or whatever else. And, and for me, it's all wicked. It's all wicked. We want to be understanding. Obviously, we're not going to have drunkards in the church. And, and I, I think that covers as well people that are under the influence of drugs as well. But on the flip side, when we're out soul winning, no, we need to be understanding. We need to, we need to be caring and loving and know that the, the power of God, the gospel, will cut through that as well. And, and know that, that for those that are struggling with it, get in the spirit, get in the word of God, get addicted to the ministry. Um, and with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, um, thank you for, for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that can just help us overcome all these obstacles, all these hurdles in our life. Um, I, I pray that if there are people here that are battling with these sorts of things, battling with addictions, uh, the temptation, um, I pray that you'll, you'll help them, help them through, through your word, through this sort of preaching. I pray as well for, uh, for, those, for those kids in this church that they'll avoid the pitfalls of, of, of that sort of sorcery, drug abuse, drug use. Um, I pray that they'll be wise. I pray that they'll think about, think about how clear you make it that we need to live soberly. Um, we need to resist the devil and he will flee from us. Um, I pray that we have a great day now.
Um, a great day going out preaching the gospel. Get some people saved. In Jesus' name, amen.